listen, today we are beginning kind of a new series. We're still in Hebrews, uh, but we want to slow down and we want to just talk about faith and really faith that changes the world, faith that changes the world. So we're in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, again, turn there, get your notes ready, pull up the Bible app. You can follow along with us on our notes. I don't know if you guys know this, but on the Bible app, you can open it up, click on events, you'll find our church, and you'll see kind of all of our notes every week. So we'd love for you to participate in that way. But we are in Hebrews 11 right now. Uh, Before we get started, let me just say this again. Uh, We hope you guys had a great 4th of July. Um, We are so blessed. We are so thankful for the freedoms we do have, the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, the fact that we can gather together, uh, even in a live stream way, talk about Jesus, talk about our beliefs, talk about things that might be contradictory to culture. We're very thankful for that privilege we have. And so um, I hope you had a great time with your family yesterday. And uh, it was just a beautiful time. We had a great time. Anyways, Hebrews 11, this is where we're at, faith that changes the world. Maybe you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 11, but this is called the Hall of Faith. Uh, This is called the Heroes of Faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 is called the Faith Chapter. This is the chapter that discusses and deals with faith in depth. And something we want to point out is throughout the Old and New Testament, it's always been about faith. Really quick, think about this with me. How was someone made right with God before Christ? How was someone made right with God before Christ? How did someone have reconciliation between them and God before Jesus died and rose again? Answer, faith. What do I mean? The whole idea of the sacrificial system, the whole idea of, you could say, the law, the priesthood, it was to point to and it was looking forward to someone who would keep the law on their behalf. It was pointing to someone who was the final sacrifice. So think about this with me, because this always blows people's minds, I think, when you really get this. We look back at faith in Jesus for salvation. They looked ahead in faith towards Jesus for salvation. They looked ahead in faith for the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, for the one that could actually fulfill and keep the law. The idea is we always have been, we're saved by grace through faith, and we always have been. So faith is not just like a New Testament thing. It's not just for us here and now. Um, Faith is the way in which God has worked and acted on part of his creation. You know, it's been said that we have five different senses, you know, in which we interact with our worlds. We might see, not not might see, but we might see, taste, smell, hear. The idea is that's how we engage or interact with this world, this visible world. And when it comes to this spiritual world, our main sense in which we interact is by faith. So just like you have uh, the sense of sight or the sense of smell, that's how we engage with this world we have this sense of faith and that's how we interact with God and his world, the spiritual world around us. We pray in faith. We might fast in faith, read in faith, worship in faith. I mean, this is that main sense in which we interact with God. And I'm very excited for this. Let me just speak to everyone, to our church, like heart to heart. Um, This to me is not a series. This is almost more of like a, I'm, I'm pleading with you and even with myself So let's enter in as a church into a season where we really believe in a big God again. That we'd really believe we serve a really big God who can do things we could never do. That God does answer prayers. That we don't want to just pray prayers that we can answer. But we want to pray prayers that only God can answer. 
And please hear this. This is really our heart for our church in this season. This is such a weird season of 2020. No one expected where we'd be at. I can't believe it's already July. Um, We thought we'd be together again by now. There's so many thoughts going on in my mind. And I think God is doing something behind the scenes that we can't see. And my hope is to engage with him and his work with the spirit, what he's doing by faith. I want to say it this way. um, I want us to believe again that God wants to save people more than we do. That God wants to disciple people more than we do. That God wants to do great things for his people, for South Florida, for our church, more than even we want. And I really do believe, according even to scriptures, that God is just looking for people who are going to show themselves faithful. God is looking for people who say, God, you said it, you, you want to do it, I believe it. I, I take you at your word. Like, if this is what you're saying, then I, I so believe this. You know, so my thing is, um, I hope that we can enter into a season where we take risks again, that we would just believe God for big things. So let me, um, let me share a little thing. Before we planted this church, it was about three years ago, um, this woman who's the niece of a pastor I really liked, she was the nie- she's the niece of a guy named Adrian Rogers, and she found, I found out that was like her great uncle. Um, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love your pastor. He's incredible. And, you know, we're talking about how we're at the faith pl- uh, church plant and how just, you know, I was just there's doubts and there's fear and all those things going on. And, you know, she wrote me a letter right before we church planted. And, and in the letter, she quoted her great uncle, Adrian Rogers. And it was, it was just so needed at the moment. He has this quote. He says, faith is not knowing God can, it's knowing he will. Now, please hear that. Faith is not knowing God can, it's knowing he will. So often I view faith as, I have faith, God can do it. The faith we see here in Hebrews is not that he can, but he will. I would love for us to enter into the season of church, of ministry, of life, not saying, I have faith God can do it, but he will. I have faith he will do it. How do we get there? How do we be people of faith? How do we right now at home, even as we're watching from a live stream, and it's just still, it's still bizarre. It's still weird not to be with you in person. It's still foreign to me. How can we still be a community of faith? How can we still be a people of faith? Not believing God can, but he will. So there are some things in this season we want to pray over that are beyond us. There are some things in this season of church and of life and in ministry that we want to say, um, not that God can do it, but he will. We want to, again, pray prayers, not that we can answer, but that only God can answer. And so my hope is that we'll press into this. I was listening to a message by a guy named Francis Chan, and he just always has some of these messages that make me, you know, stop and think and ponder life. And he's like, are you currently doing things that, are just cr- that look crazy to the world? Like, are you currently doing things that are crazy to everyone else, but are normal to you and God? And just the question of like, do we take these steps that we go, unless God shows up, I don't know how this is going to happen. Unless God answers the prayer, I don't know if this is going to work out. Do we put ourselves in a position where we say, God, you have to show up because there's no other answer. There's no other solution. Not that we're doing this blindly, not that we're doing this without reason. And that's what we're going to talk about here in Hebrews 11 but that we would truly press into this, God, I'm not, I don't just believe you can, but you will. So the title of today and what we're going to look at is simply Faith Described. Faith Described. Um, if you want to know what is faith, um, what does it look like? Does faith mean you just kind of check your brain at the door and never think about something ever again and just kind of embrace it blindly? Uh, of course not. Um, the author of Hebrews goes into depth of the substance of faith, the evidence of faith. And so we just want to talk about faith as a whole 
And really just hope, our, my hope is that through this, it would just change um, how you and I interact with each other and the world. So let's read this. It's Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 1 through 3. Hebrews 11, verse 1 through 3. Let's read it, and then we'll pray and look at this more in depth. Hebrews 11, it says this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Again, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, for by faith, the elders, the ones that have gone before us, they have obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We're going to pray and just walk through this text more in depth. And um, guys, we cannot just make this a Bible study. We're, pr- we're asking my prayers right now that God, we would truly be transformed by this and that you'd make us into a people of faith that we would believe we serve a big God. And whether or not our faith is perfect or spot on or great, um, it's not even necessarily about our faith as we'll look at. So let's just pray and let's just talk about this more in depth. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time we get. We thank you for the fact that we can study your word freely. God, we thank you um, that you do inhabit the praises of your people, that we, we do believe in a very real sense, God, that when we sing, when we um, praise, when we shout, when we cry out, when we just open our hearts to let you speak into it, not that we just read your word, but you read us. Lord, we believe that you are so near. And um, Jesus, I even ask that for those at home, maybe on TVs or phones or laptops, and it's still difficult, it's still distracting, or maybe they're gonna watch this later. Jesus, would you just meet us right now where we're at? Would you meet that one when as soon as they hear this, that you'd meet them, that God, we would truly be a people of faith, that we'd press in to what it is you have for us, that God, we would truly not just read of these amazing things you did way back when, but you still do amazing things today. That God, you're looking for people who don't just believe you can, but you will. And so God, I ask that you just do something within myself, our lives, and that God, this would not just be a, a series or just even a section of scripture, but that this would be a, a, a changing point even in our church, that we would not fear faith, that we would not look down on it, but we just fully embrace it. In your wonderful name, amen. Amen. Jesus asked a very profound And kind of a very terrifying question in Luke chapter 18, verse 8. Listen to what Jesus asked. He said this, When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, when I come again, will I really find faith on the earth? I find that a very interesting question. Jesus says, when I come back, will I find faith? Will I find a people of faith? Why would Jesus ask that? Like when I, when I first read it, when you even read it in the greater context, you're going, Jesus, why do you even ask this question? Is it because your people who are to live and walk by faith, are we not? What, what, you, what is he, what, what is the point, what does that question entail? How do we hear that question and our hearts say, I'll be that person? When you come again, when he says, when I come again, will I really find faith on the earth? I think we might have a group of people that believe the right things, but maybe not faith in the one who spoke those things. And it makes me nervous when I read that. I go, God, is that me? When you come back, will you find faith in me? 
You know, we looked last week at the way the author sets up Hebrews 11. He says, the just shall live by faith. And we talked about how that phrase is mentioned first in Habakkuk and repeated three times in the New Testament. And that was a phrase that just changed the world. There's a guy named Martin Luther who was a monk who used to try to get favor with God uh, in the 15th century or really 16th century. He He would try to get favor with God by doing good things. He would try to be a good person, and when he failed or when he sinned, you can read about Martin Luther. I'm sure you've heard of Martin Luther, but this guy's known for whipping, whipping himself on the back, just beating himself when he feels like he sinned, and I can't, I can't be right with God, and I need to feel pain. He'd actually go out in the snow and try to like freeze himself for a while. He would actually try to like bring pain on him because he felt like, I've sinned, I've blown it, I need to, like, I, I, I need to feel the weight of this. And some people still do this through religious works and efforts, and it might look differently. Some people might do it in, in that kind of a way, through pain, like Martin Luther, but here's what happened. He was reading the scriptures one day and he came across this phrase, the just shall live by faith, and it radically changed his life. Because here's what he thought about. He goes, wait, 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 wait. The just, the righteous live by faith. The righteous don't live by works. The righteous don't live by what they do for God. That the, the just ones, the ones that are justified before God, the ones that are made right before God are those who just live by faith. And that phrase he saw in Romans and Galatians and here in Hebrews, by faith, by faith, by faith, and it radically changed how he walked with the Lord and encountered the Lord, how he read scriptures. He goes, I'm doing this all wrong. I'm doing it from a place of trying to get justified, trying to be righteous before God when I am righteous. And so therefore I'm living and walking by faith. And it just radically changed changed his life. It changed the church. It started like the Reformation. I mean, this phrase, the just shall live by faith, was just life-changing. There's this Latin phrase that used to say, I'm going to probably say it wrong, but it's justitia alienum, like an alien. So justitia alienum, it means an alien type of righteousness that's not our own. That there is this just, this, that we're justified before God in this, in this foreign kind of a way that we could never bring it on ourselves, that God had to place it on us. And it was just completely life-changing and it was radical. And here's why I'm bringing this up. Um, In the, the book of Hebrews as a whole, the author is trying to say, Jesus is better. He's better than the law. He's better than Moses. He's better than prophets. He's better than Melchizedek. Jesus is better than it all. And it's all pointing to him. And the point is men and women, Hebrews 11, you want to know the big point? Men and women have always lived by faith. They've always lived by faith. It's not a new thing. It's not like, okay, now under this new covenant, we live by faith. The point is we've always lived by faith. And as we take the next really like five more weeks after this, six weeks total, as we walk through these different accounts of faith, we're gonna see, oh my goodness, we've always lived by faith. Abraham, Sarah, Rahab, Isaac, all these great men and women have always lived by faith. And so we're gonna kind of press into that. Now, here's why I say this. Um, maybe you didn't grow up in, the, in a Christian family or community. Maybe you heard the word faith. And even today, it's still used with negative, like a negative connotation. Like, oh, you're a person of faith. You know, when you, we say that, it's like, oh, you don't really think for yourself. You're not a person of reason. Uh, you're not a person who uses their mind. You're a person of faith. There's kind of that negative connotation to it. When in reality, everyone's a person of faith. I don't know anyone who's not a person of faith. Even if you try to say, no, no, I let science guide and lead my life. I mean, the way that uh, I try to gather evidence empirically through science, uh, this, is, this is not faith. Actually, yes. Uh, science makes a lot of faith claims. We'll talk about this. There's a lot of premises or theories they create and they try to find evidence for it, but they still can't empirically prove it. So they're still living by faith. Science cannot prove there is no God. 
can't prove there is a God. We use that, we use that word proof. They cannot prove that. So that, what does that mean? That means there's a faith claim. There's a faith claim. Uh, it's been said that um, going to a science lab trying to find God is like going into a piano trying to find a song. That's not how it works. You're not going to find God through some experiment that you do. Um, there's a side where every, every person who lives, lives by faith to some, to some capacity, obviously. Like right now, whether later today you get in your car and drive it, you're, there's faith that I put my key in the ignition and it will start. Unless you have a really old car and you're like, I don't have faith for that. But some people, just, there's that faith that we're exercising every day. I'm going to get in an airplane. I have faith that this pilot didn't get in a fight with his wife that day and is just ready to take us all down with him. Like, I, there's so much faith we exercise in others. There's faith when we open up a news article on our phone or app or iPad and you're reading this article, you have faith that what this person is saying is true. You have faith that they fact check things. You, there's so much faith we take in constantly. We're constantly living by faith. Now, we, there might be this, um, there's, is there evidence? Is there credibility? Is there reliability? You're factoring those things in and that's what faith is you're still going to factor these things in, which he's going to talk about. You're still going to have reason behind it. You're still looking for credibility. You're not just blindly taking it in, but everyone. When someone's like, oh man, good for you. I'm so glad you're a person of faith. I mean, the fact that you have that talent and that skill that you can live by faith, good for you. Um, no, you cannot use it as, 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 as a scapegoat. Everyone has faith. Everyone exercises faith to some capacity. And so we want to talk about this. The difference for us today and what we're looking at is, it's not that Christians are different because we have faith. Christians are different because of the object of our faith. And so it's not that we have faith, so we're different. But what is the object of our faith? The object of our faith is Jesus. The object of our faith is the one who died and rose again. The object of our faith is the one that people gave their lives for that truth, that they saw this man, Jesus, die on a Roman cross, then they saw him three days later resurrect. They saw him walk around for 40 days, talking to people, eating with people, and they go, I cannot deny the fact that I saw the risen Jesus. Over 500 people, and they say, I'm gonna live for this. You can take my home, my lives, my family. You can crucify me. You can crucify me upside down. You can feed me to lions. It doesn't matter. I saw Jesus die and rise again. I don't care if I benefit from this financially. I, I won't. They won't benefit in any way, and they, they believe that, and they give their lives to that. The point is, we all exercise faith, but we're saying, what is the object of our faith? And the object of our faith is Jesus. There's this acronym for faith. Maybe you heard it. If you grew up in like Sunday school, you might know this, but I think it's somewhat helpful because you're like, what is faith? I like this for, for kids, maybe even for adults. It might help us. Uh, faith, forsaking all, I trust him. Forsaking all, I trust him. F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I trust him. I trust Jesus. Faith is, I'm forsaking it all. That the world in which I see things, it doesn't make sense to me without Jesus. The world in which I th see things, it doesn't make sense without an intelligent designer behind this design. The way in which I th see things, morality makes no sense if this is all random. The idea behind this is faith is incredibly reasonable and our object is incredibly reliable. His name is Jesus. So let's look at this because again, Hebrews 11, whether Old Testament or New, the author's point is this, hey, it's always been about faith. It's always. They are made right with God because of faith. Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, he goes on to Moses. They've all lived and walked by faith. So that's what we're gonna look through. So let's just look at verse one through three. We're gonna look at faith described, faith described. Here's kind of three aspects or three layers of faith in our text. So number one is this, the essence of faith. Number two, the effect of faith. And number three, the example of faith. The essence of faith, like what is faith? We're gonna see the effect of faith, what it does. And then we're gonna see the example of faith that he uses talking about creation. 
So let's break this down. Number one, the essence of faith. Let's read again verse one. Stay with me. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We're going to walk through this verse and just break it down. All right, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So substance, let's first look at that word substance. Um, you can even think about it this way, substance, to stand on. There's something under you that you're standing on. Uh, the idea is faith is the reality. Faith is something we stand on. Everyone builds their life on something. Everyone has faith claims to some extent. And he's saying faith is the substance of things hope for. Um, you know, when you think about substance, this idea that it's communicating is it's rational. You can stand on it. Um, people, you know, think about way, the way you look at people's words. Um, someone might say something to you, but there's no substance to it. Do you ever have anyone who promises you things all the time, but they never fulfill? Hey man, I'll be there. I'll show up early. Like, not, not only are they not early, but they're not there. Hey, man, I got your back, bro. Whatever you need. And you're like, hey, I need you to help me today. Sorry, man. Like, ah. Okay, There's, there needs to be substance to faith. You know, I remember for Micah, my son, when he was just very little, you know, I'd place him on the counter and like, I'd be like, Micah, jump to me. He'd be like, no. I'm like, come on, jump to me. And at first, like, he'd finally like, kind of like fall into my hands. And I'm like, dude, come on, man. Like, trust me. I put him up there again, jump to me. And like slowly over time, eventually he just got crazy brave. He'd just like jump off the counter, like throw his arms out, like kick me. And I'm like trying to catch him while he's like falling. But the reason why he could get more and more bold is I caught him, I caught him, I caught him. Maybe one time I didn't know, but I caught him. The, the point is, as I was being consistent in that, he realizes there's substance there. I, I'm going to something I, I, can, I can trust. He'll catch me. He's done it time and time again. And this is what we are saying. Again, kind of go back to the object of our faith, the reliability of our faith, that when you test, when you test it out, when you actually go to Jesus and you read through the scriptures, what he claimed, what he did, what he said, why it just makes sense in which the way this world works and man, this is broken, but here's Jesus' you know, solution to this and that seems to actually be a really good solution. And you kind of hold it up, you go, wow, there's substance here. The substance, listen, faith is the substance, we'll keep moving, of things hoped for, of things hoped for. Now here's what's interesting. We hear that and go, man, substance sounds really concrete. Hope for kind of doesn't, it sounds more fluid to us. You know, we use that word hope like wishful thinking, a lot of times we say, man, I hope this person will call me back because you really don't know. Uh, I hope this COVID thing comes to an end. I hope this, and we kind of like use hope as like, man, to stay positive. Hey, hey, just, just, just hope for it. And like a lot of times we talk about hope in, in kind of a way that's, it's like, we don't think it's going to happen. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. That's how I think we use the word hope. Here's how the Bible describes the word hope. Um, is absolute assurance based on the word of God. The way, even in the Greek, the way this word is broken down is, I have absolute assurance of the word of God. If I have the word, then I have assurance. If he's been faithful then, he'll be faithful again. Don't think that there's just substance, concrete, and then hope is like, maybe... He's saying, man, we have a confident expectation that this will be fulfilled because he's been faithful in the past, he'll be faithful again. Just like Micah would say, my dad was faithful to catch me then, he'll be faithful to catch me now. There's a side of it where you go, man, uh, there's substance to this, and it creates this hope in me that I know is going to happen, that I know he will not fail, that I know that it's not just a person who gives the word and doesn't follow through. There's something different about God's word. 
There's something different when someone says, when someone gives us their word, they hurt us time and time again. I get why it's hard for some people to trust. They've been hurt. People have broken the word, hurt, hurt us with their word. But when you look at God's word, you go, man, there's something about this that's been faithful time and time again. Listen, faith is the substance. There's substance, the substance of things hoped for. Next phrase, he, he goes into this and he says, the evidence of things not seen, the evidence of things not seen. I don't know if we ever think of faith in this way. Faith has evidence. Like, notice that. There's substance to faith, but there's evidence to faith. If you've heard Christianity put as like, just believe this blindly, don't question it, don't have any, any thoughts or concerns, you know, hey, that verse, just ignore that verse, don't even think about that. The Old Testament story that you don't like, yeah, just we'll skip that one. No, actually, let's look at the evidence. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's talk about the evidence. Let's look at the evidence. Let's read. Uh, when you go to a court of law, here's the idea. You might not be able to prove empirically um, that this happened or this event took place, or this person's guilty or innocent, but what do you do? You show there's evidence, and this evidence is building a case, and the point is evidence demands a verdict. Look at Christianity from that standpoint, more from the standpoint of law, that there's evidence for Jesus' death and resurrection, and you gotta consider the evidence and it's building a case. And at the end of the day, even if you don't believe, you need to look at the evidence and you need to make a decision. Because no matter what you're making a decision, did Jesus die and rise again? Whenever we get sidetracked in conversations with people, whenever someone wants to bring up some issue, I'll engage with it for, for a while. I'll try to do my best to answer and listen. I'll try to do my best just to be, sympathize, first of all, and listen well. But eventually when I get to it, I go, hey, listen, the person of Jesus, did he die and rise again? Like at the end of the day, if Jesus rose again, that changes everything. And we got to consider the evidence. We got to consider how this works. We got to consider that if you went to a court of law, you'd say, here's the evidence, the jury, the judge, and they go, all right, guilty, innocent. What, what, is, the, what is the outcome? Christian or non-Christian listening, please listen. Consider the evidence. Consider the changed lives. Consider people that were abusers, womanizers, drunks, who say the only thing that has brought me through that or out of that is Jesus. Consider the, <clears throat> the evidence we have through individuals like Paul, who used to persecute and kill and murder Christians. And now he's saying, I'm all in for this Jesus thing. I'm all in for Jesus. Why? He had also that personal encounter with Jesus. I mean, consider Jesus' brothers who didn't believe in him, obviously Jesus, their brother, the Messiah, no way, to then becoming followers for him, martyred for him, writers of the New Testament, saying, no, this, our brother Jesus was not like any brother. Let me tell you about him. This truly was the son of God. They went from though being cynical and denying him and mocking him and saying, come home, stop this madness, to saying, I'm all in following my brother. I mean, it'd take a lot for my brother to believe that I was the Messiah. It's not gonna happen unless he was. The, the point is, consider it, weigh it out. Just look at it. Look at some historical writers and authors. Look at Josephus. Look at Pliny the Younger. Look at different guys who wrote about believers and non-believers who just spoke and said, this guy, Jesus, radically changed. Just consider the evidence. When you even read the New Testament, they, they, don't, they write about it in that way. They write about it in this evidential way. So let me just give you a few verses. You can kind of follow with me. Uh, John, John the Apostle in 1 John said this. He says, that which, listen, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have looked upon in our hands, our hands have handled, we've touched concerning the word of life. Jesus is called the word of life, that the life was manifested and we have seen and we bear witness and declare to you. John's like, we've seen him, we've touched him, we've ate with him, we, we cried with him, we laughed with him. 
Uh, he's like, how can I deny what, what was my reality? It, it's reality. There's substance. There's evidence. It's Peter saying the same thing in 2 Peter 1, but he says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's like, I saw him transformed in the mountain. I saw his majesty come to earth momentarily, where I was like, uh, let's just build three temples. Like Peter, like, remember, he like, just kind of foolish. But he's like, I've seen it. I saw his majesty. I can't deny that. It's Luke. Luke, who writes from what he's seen and witnessed and observed, to, he writes a book called Luke, and he writes to a guy named Theophilus, and he writes against him in the book of Acts. But here's what he, Luke, who was a doctor, medical doctor, here's what he writes. He says, it seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. He goes, it, it was really necessary, it's good to me, to take everything I've experienced and to write it out orderly, to write it systematically, to let you know what he did and claimed what people saw. And hey, you don't believe me? Take all these stories, ask people who are there. They can also, they can verify it or they can deny it. But it seemed for me to, to show you this. Paul, like I mentioned earlier, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, who in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, he writes about his own encounter with Jesus. He says, last of all, Jesus appeared to me. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 goes, Jesus died and rose again, according to scriptures. Over 500 people saw him. The apostles saw him. And then last of all, you know what? Jesus physically appeared to me. I saw him. Paul's like, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't doubt this. I can't not live for this. I went from a persecutor. I went from martyring people who believed in Jesus to now I'll become a martyr. Because I, I've tasted and seen. I've experienced him. The point is, faith is not some blind, come on, guys, just believe it. Don't even think about it. Come on, guys, don't even, don't, don't question this Christianity thing. No, it's saying, look for the substance, look for the evidence, evidence weighed out. You know what you're gonna have to do? Just like with any belief system, hear the evidence, make a decision. Hear the evidence for Jesus, make a decision. You know, again, when you, when you anyone who says any sort of claim, that's a, there's a faith claim attached to that. You know, there's an interesting thought where, you know, scientists have said, if you cannot, if you cannot prove this empirically beyond a shadow of doubt, it's not true. And you can't take the methods of science and prove that statement itself empirically. There's always going to be an element of faith. There's always going to be this circular reasoning you're going to see and say, wait a second, that claim you just made was not an empirical claim because we can't use the scientific method which you just said we needed to use to prove your statement. Like something's always going to fall short. And this is why there, we have to look into this, that faith is not blind, but there's substance, there's evidence. I hope you're tracking with me. Um, I love what Ravi Zacharias said. It's a famous quote of his. He says, what I believed in my heart must make sense in my mind. If I believe something, someone's like, oh, I just believe it in my heart. Maybe you've talked to Mormons. They're like, oh, I just have this burning in my bosom. You're like, oh, that's heart pain. You should go to a doctor. But maybe you've like heard that. And the idea is like, awesome, but what you believe in your heart must make sense in your mind. Is there evidence for that? Is there evidence for Jesus coming to America? Like the Mormons claim, oh wait, there's no evidence for that? Okay, there's we got to understand. We got to look at this and weigh the evidence. It's not just check your brain at the door and be blind to it. I would say, like, I'd invite you into that conversation. Read a book called The Reason for God. Um, share that with your family. Discuss it. Question it. Challenge it. I would just invite you guys into that dialogue. Faith is not blind, and I hope we're getting this. And listen, the evidence of things not seen. Listen to that last phrase, things not seen. There's evidence. There is evidence for things that we don't see. Don't assume that all we are is matter and material. We'll talk about this at point number three, but that's the, that's the author's argument. He goes, do you really believe it's just matter? You really believe there's, there's things that are not seen? There are, there's evidence for things not seen. And you could look at that. We could share personal subjective stories. We could try to look at this objectively, which we'll try to do when we get to point number three, but there's evidence for things not 
seen. I like what Warren Wearsby says about this. He says, faith enables us to see what others cannot see. As a result, faith enables us to do what others cannot do. Um, faith enables us to see what others cannot see. There's evidence for things not seen. One of my favorite stories of this is in 2 Kings 6. In 2 Kings 6, you have Elisha, who's with his servant. And at one point, you have the Syrians coming for him, because he, or Elijah, because he was a very dangerous man. There was this rumor going around that, hey, if you say anything in private, um, God reveals it to this man, Elijah. And, and so we got to take him out. So the Syrians surround Elijah and his servant, and the servant is freaking out. He's like, we're surrounded. We're dead. It's, we're done with. Second Kings 6, you can read the story. And Elijah just prays and says, God, open up my servant's eyes. And he opens up his eyes, and there's just chariots around the Syrian, Syrian army. There's just these chariots of fire. There's these, the armies of heaven gathered around this army. And I, I love that story because in some ways I do wonder if our eyes could be open to the reality of the spiritual world. There's just something, I, I wonder what that would do. Like right now, even in this moment, in this room for us, at your home, those moments when you're in an argument with your loved one, those moments where maybe you're sharing the gospel with someone and you're, you're giving some, them something, even a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, I just wonder what we could see happening spiritually. I wonder if our eyes could truly be aware of that. Um, I think it would do something to us. You know, obviously there's people who don't believe that there's something spiritual. They don't believe there's a soul. They don't believe there's a spirit. We're just mad. We're just neurons firing. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But again, what the author's saying, I agree with, he goes, there's evidence for things that are not seen. There's evidence for things that we might not always see with the eye. I love how C.S. Lewis put it. Maybe you remember this quote or heard this. It's a very famous quote, but C.S. Lewis is a great like, philosophical writer on Christianity. We're going to quote him again later because you have to quote C.S. Lewis when you talk about philosophy and Jesus. Um, but here's what he said. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I believe in, Christ- I believe in Jesus. I believe in Christianity, not because um, I necessarily see it, but because by it I see everything else. You don't really stare into the sun, but yeah, that wouldn't be good. But you let the sun kind of reveal your life. And he goes, by, by the sun, that's how I see everything else. I, I cannot deny that. There's something incredibly powerful when you go, I cannot see. It's almost impossible to, to look at life and say, yep, yep, just meaningless. Yep, space times matter times chance, human consciousness. Come on, man, just give enough time. You give enough time, space times time times matter equals everything. Duh. And there's something that sits within you and go, I don't know. I don't know if there's just enough space in the universe and matter and just give enough time and we have love. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's the way I can see it. But you have to come to that conclusion if there's nothing unseen. But there's evidence for things not seen, is what the author's saying. So just stay with me. It's, it's what Paul said, right? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, he says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. The sense in which we live, the sense in which we walk in God's world and God's economy is by faith, not by sight. Um, there's a side of it where we got to understand it's scary to walk by faith or going, God, I'm going to put myself in a position, again, where if you don't show up, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to work out. But I'm not told to walk by sight. Should I, walk by, should I have reason attached to it? Absolutely. But I'm going to walk by faith in this moment because that's, that's the way in which your world works. We taste, see, smell here, here, in, here in this world, but in your world, we walk by faith. And I really do believe again, church, please, this is not just some, let me give you some apologetic teaching for why faith is brilliant and it's genius and everyone exercises faith. Let me just say this. Um, we want to talk through this because we want to become truly a people of faith, not knowing that just God can, but he will. 
Knowing that God works in such a way where when you position yourself in a way where you say, God, you said enter into the promised land. I know there's giants, but you said it, so I believe it. I'm gonna enter into it. There's a side of it where it's like, it doesn't make sense. I don't know how we're gonna enter into a land filled with giants, but you said it's ours, so it's ours. That's what we wanna do when it comes to South Florida. (laughs) Saying, God, we don't understand how people are gonna come to know you. It feels like right now, just the world, the culture, everyone's at odds, we're fighting, everything's politicized. And and then at the end of the day, we go, but Lord, it's a kingdom of light versus a kingdom of darkness. And you know, your kingdom's gonna prevail and we're gonna join in your kingdom and we're gonna bring people to to you and let them see you and taste you and experience you. And we're gonna engage in this this way. We're gonna walk by faith, believing that you will. Believing that you will save people we never thought were savable. Believing that you'll plant churches that we never thought could be planted. We're going to believe you will because we're people of faith and that's how we're going to walk. Number two is this, the effect of faith. And this won't be as long, but the effect of faith, because verse two is a quick little verse. He just like throws it in there and that leads to everything else in Hebrews 11. But read verse two with me. He says it this way. He says, by faith, by faith, or for by it, but by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. So, the, the essence of faith, now the effect of faith, what is that? He says, the elders, those who've gone before us have obtained a good testimony. They've gotten a good story. They've gotten a good um, you know, reputation from being a people of faith. Think about it this way. I've never known anyone who did something incredible for God that didn't use faith. Like if you're going to do something like kingdom shaking, life changing, it's going to require faith. If you're going to do something that's like controversial and I, I don't know, man, this is kind of, looks kind of, if you're going to do some of those things, it's going to require faith. They obtain a good testimony. And just think about it this way. Guys, there's so many things by faith that we, I believe things that happen that I can't see. I believe that I'm forgiven. You know, I can't see forgiveness. I can't see like the forgiveness. It's like, and sometimes you can experience it. Sometimes you can like go, wow, God, I have that sense of I am free. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing when you feel it. You don't always feel it. There's sometimes you won't feel that you're forgiven and you walk in that truth that you're forgiven. By faith, I believe that I have access to God because the scriptures tell me I have access to God. You know, by by faith, I believe Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father, even though I don't see that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. There are things we take by faith, and he's seen the elders, those who've gone before us, and he names men and women alike who exercise faith. And he walks through this and says, look, they've obtained a good testimony from this. Listen, here's my question to us, to me, to our church. Guys, I don't even say when was the last time, but are you currently taking risks for God's kingdom? Are you currently taking steps of faith? Does your faith take any risks? Does your faith take any risks? If you say, I believe in Jesus, I believe he died and rose again, I'd be like, awesome. Tell me how you've taken that faith, not just saving faith, but now sustaining faith. Now faith that says, I'm gonna move forward in that direction. How, how have you taken risks for him? I'm gonna say, guys, it might be small, might be like, wow, I'm gonna put myself in an uncomfortable situation and share with my neighbor about Jesus and his love. It might be, you know what, um, when it comes to worship, it's hard for me. I'm actually going to just raise my hands in faith and not care and just sing loud and praise him. Um, it might be, you know what, I'm pretty stingy and I've always viewed money as security and God's going to maybe challenge your faith to just give beyond a place that's comfortable. Like this is very uncomfortable for me. My point is your faith will take risks. It will put yourself in a position where it says, God, I, if you don't come through or provide, it's not going to make sense. It's not going to happen. And you're, you're giving yourself, you're giving God an opportunity to show up, to make one of those God moments, those God stories. By it, the elders obtain a good testimony. They obtained a good story. So again, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
It always begins with faith and continues with faith. By it, the elders obtain a good testimony. Don't just look for salvation faith, but now walking by faith, that daily faith, that sustaining faith, that faith that says enter into new things. Listen, if there was ever a time that we needed an earth-shaking, mountain-moving, devil-defying, sin-destroying, revival-bringing faith, this is the time. This is the, this is the hour. This is the time to have faith in Jesus and say, I need a faith that will just rock and change the world because you know what? The world needs to be rocked for Jesus because the world needs Jesus to show up. And listen, it doesn't take always this giant faith. It's like Jesus described as that mustard seed can remove a mountain. Can, you know why? It's not our faith. It's the object of our faith. It's not how big is your faith. It's how big is your God. And if you realize, and I realize that we have a really big God, you don't really need that much faith. I think in Christianity, what the problem is many times, we have a very small God in our theology. We have a God that can only answer the prayers we think he can answer. We have a God who can only do the things we think he can do. And yet our God's trying to break us out of that and say, I can do things that you never thought. I can answer prayers you never thought. It might even feel silly to pray those prayers. You might even feel ridiculous. Like, why am I praying this? Why am I praying for this celebrity to get saved? And you're like, this might be silly to you, but you're like, I have no idea what the Lord's doing. I don't know why that was my example, but there's so many little different things like that, that you might be going, this sounds ridiculous to pray for God to show up, but you know what? I'm going to pray it anyways. Because it's not about my faith. It's about my big God. It's about the object of my faith. And again, you'll never find, a, a, I've never read a biography of a Christian man or woman who like started an orphanage, led a you know, tribe to Jesus, whatever. I've never read that and like they didn't exercise faith. All of them exercise faith. If you want a good testimony, you're gonna have to exercise faith. If you want a good God story, you, you gotta do that with faith. You're never gonna have one, we're never gonna have one without exercising some faith. By it, the elders obtain a good testimony. You know, the, the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, Jesus summarizes this parable of, to some I gave one talent, two talents, five talents. You know, the guy that got five got five more. The, the guy that got two got two more. The person that got one buried it in the sand. And he gives us this beautiful parable of like, what are you doing with what God has given you? How are you stewarding what God has given you? But if you remember the ending, he talks to the faithful servants and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And the idea was they were faithful. They were full of faith. To take five and to turn into five more, they probably had to risk a lot. No risk, no reward. That idea is, it's very true even biblically. The idea of just like, God, I'm gonna put myself in a position where this is gonna be risking a lot, but you know what? I serve a really big God. Listen, by it, they obtained a good testimony, the effect of faith, a good testimony, how it plays out. Number three is this. Uh, not, so we have the essence of faith, the effect of faith. Number three, the example of faith. And this is a very Interesting and unique example. Look at verse three. So the example of faith, he says, for by faith, listen, for by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. For by faith, we understand. That word understand is actually this word think and reason and contemplate. It's the idea that by faith, we are reasoning, we are understanding, we are using our mind, and by faith, by reasoning and thinking, we understand that the worlds were framed through the word of God. That God is the um, uncaused cause. Uh, I think as Aristotle put it, as the unmoved mover. That there, there has to be an ultimate cause. That behind every effect, there's a cause. And we're saying the uncaused cause is God. So let's talk about this, because this is where uh, people might look at Christianity and go, man, that's just an easy cop-out. Your, your answer, everything is just God. And they kind of view that and diminish that. And they believe, and really essentially you could say the summary is, either you believe all there is is matter and matter begot matter, 
or there's something outside of matter. You know, we, we know that matter has a beginning point, has an ending point. The idea is we look at the we look at how that began and say there had to be something behind that that was not matter, that was eternal. Something had to be self-existent. Because here's what the question we propose to, you know, maybe um, an atheist or a non-believer of some sort, and they go, well, who made God? So we'll ask them and say, who made the world? How did the existence come to being? Well, lightning struck some gases, boom, give enough time, human consciousness. Okay, so where did the lightning come from? Where did the gases come from? Well, you know, maybe it's self-existent. No, it's not self-existent. We know it's not self-existent. Well, where did God come from? Well, God's not matter. God is spirit. There had to be, again, according to even Aristotle, this guy, there had to be some sort of unmoved mover, some uncaused cause. So we're saying, yeah, it's not matter that begets matter. And we're not saying nothing begets something. Like even that math, well, duh, you take some nothing and then you get something. Like, no, the, the idea is like, that is, there are some faith claims used for people who are atheists, know God, um, that I think takes more faith than a theist, someone who believes in God. Like, I'm sorry, I, I look at that and go, I, I'm sorry, when I see intelligent design, I obviously refer to an intelligent creator. If there's certain laws we function and live by, where do these laws, where do this, so you're saying chaos created order, chaos created laws, laws of nature, laws of physics. You're like, I, I don't see how you make that jump from chaos to order, but I see order. I see an intelligent creator. See, I think that's what we're trying to look at. One author put it this way, if you're like, what are you saying, Josiah? One author said it this way. Faith, through reasoning and thinking, perceives that the material world all by itself does not make sense. There must be a supernatural, unseen reality as well. That faith says, I don't know if this is all there is. Faith is actually reasoning. You're going, wait a second. So lightning struck some gases. Now we have morality and ethics. I don't, I don't know. They're, they're, and just, don't just say there's enough time. We'll give more time, give more scenarios, multi-universe theory, and just kind of, come on. But you're, there's supposed to be this uncaused of all that cause. And so I'd say, just bring it back. And again, not that there's not going to be some uh, even discrepancies within the Christian worldview. We have to be honest and go, yeah, this is difficult to understand. I under, I'm not just there to be like, this is easy. Again, Christianity implies that you're thinking. That's the thing. We're just saying think. We're just saying embrace this. Don't just say some lightning struck gases, give enough time, and now there's morality and ethics and consciousness and love and beauty, and, but that's just all neurons firing off in our brain. It doesn't really make sense anyways, and then there's no such thing as beauty. You just make up, we're going, but that doesn't, why does that not sit well with us? Why does that not fit? Because maybe there's another premise. Maybe there's another scenario. I was reading some blogs by some uh, astrologists going back and forth on this, or astronomers, astronomers. They're going back and forth on this, and they were talking about this, and I thought this was very interesting. They're going, okay, 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 okay. There might be some sort of God, but he's obviously not a theistic God who cares about how we live or cares about ethics or who we love. Or, you know, there might be some sort of all-powerful being. I don't want to call it God. And I'm like, they still have to conclude on that. Like, after all this debate, they're kind of going, maybe. Uh, one of my favorite uh, movies that is kind of about this is a, a movie called Expelled um, with Ben Stein. And at the end of this, look it up. I hope, I don't know if it's on Amazon, but look up Expelled. At the end of it, he's sitting down, Ben Stein, a brilliant guy. He's Jewish. He's, he believes in God. He's not a believer. He's not a Christian, but he believes in God. He's sitting down with Richard Dawkins and he just gets to the point. He goes, okay, then how are we here? How are we here? And like, I love, he's like, well, you know, there's a lot of theories out there and you can believe it. And he basically summarizes and says, you know, maybe there's some sort of, you know, alien intelligent design that takes a seed and, you know, kind of impregnated some sort of universe. And he's like, so wait, and like they pause it, like, wait, you believe you will accept anything other than God to the point where you might say some alien, some foreign thing, alien meaning we don't really know what it is, but it can just impregnate the universe and here we go. Now, so you still believe in design? So they still have to come back to design. Church, listen, because um, I've had some conversations with people. It's like, I can't believe this. You believe God created us all. And I'm like, yeah, that actually makes a lot more sense. That through order came order. 
Not through chaos came order. That through design came a design. Through designer came a design. Like that does make more sense to me. Times times matter times chance does not equal everything to me. I'm saying there, there's something we've got to consider more than this. So I hope this is making some sense. Um, there's a great Catholic philosopher. His name was, and I'm going to say it wrong, so forgive me, but Alasadar McIntyre. And he gives this illustration I just find helpful. Let me use it this way. He says, imagine you have a radio. And the radio, you, you ask the question, is it a good radio or a bad radio? And he's like, well, before you ask that question, you need to ask, what is the radio built for? What is it made for? So radio, but what is it built for? I can't say it's a bad radio if it's not hammering a nail. I can't say it's a bad radio if it's not combing my hair. His point, he goes into, is saying, um, you need to know, oh, so it takes in frequencies and it displays sound from those frequencies and it works and I hear it. That's a good radio. You have to know what it's built for first. So he talks about this in the idea of morality. How do you know if someone's good or bad? How do you know if someone's good or bad? We kind of say that, that guy's good, that person's bad, but how do you know? Are they, how do you know unless you know what it was built for or made for? You can't, you can't just kind of jump and conclude that this is a good person or a bad person based off what? What was it made for? We have to know first what it was made for before you can say this was good or bad. I'm going to give you a couple of long quotes. You ready? You ready, church? All right, here we go. Here's how he summarizes this. He says, what are humans, human beings made for? He says, if this seen world is all there is, if there's no God, if there's no supernatural, if there's no soul, if everything has a natural cause, then we're here by accident, right? We're not here with any purpose. And that means it's impossible to, to judge any actions as right or wrong. If, this is an, if we're just caused through chaos and, and there's really just, this is a giant accident, a giant experiment, then we have absolutely no right other than the way that we make or we create, so to say, what Hitler did in the 40s. Uh, you know, we can say that's evil, but he's saying if you take on this evolutionary worldview, he goes, no. This progressive worldview, he says, no, you, can't, you have no right to call that evil or good. Even if the deep down in your soul, you, but you know it's bad, you know it's evil. We have really no right, is what he's saying. He goes on, he says this. He says, you may feel violence and oppression are wrong, but that's just a feeling. Because if this seen world is all there is, there's, so, there's no such thing as right and wrong. All statements of right and wrong are just a matter of opinion. And yet we have this unavoidable knowledge, it's really knowledge, that certain actions are wrong. But if the seen world is all there is, we can't make any sense of that. Not only if the material world is all there is, can we make no sense of our moral knowledge, but we also can't make sense even of pleasure. It just doesn't. It's not fair to just say this is chaos and this is created by chaos and to say, but then there's beauty, but then there's morality and chaos brought the sense of order. He says, it's not fair to do that. So here's a, a, an argument for the side of, uh, here's a psychologist who goes around and, and has um, in a class with his students, he has this opening sentence or statement. Here it is. Here's what he, he does to challenge his Christians. He says, you, your joys and your sorrows, your memories and your ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will are in fact no more than the behavior of vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. You're nothing but a pack of neurons. And so the, this, this psychologist starts off his class by saying, the sense of love you have, no, just neurons firing off in your brain. There's no such thing as love. No such thing as love. No such thing as hatred. There's no such thing as any of that. We just make it up. We just make it up as we go. So for you to call someone that what they're doing is evil or wrong, no, it's just made up. It's just they're just doing. It's neither good nor bad. Just chemicals is how we feel about that situation. And really, if you do take this, everyone might kind of believe this, but in the way they live life, it's completely different. 
So it's funny how many people who have this mindset, yeah, it's just, we're just matter, it's just neurons firing off, that's why you feel this way. But if you really believe that, if I punched your mom in the face, you'd actually be mad, but hey, don't be mad. That's just chemicals going off your brain, bro. That's not good or bad. Like in reality, no one actually lives it out this way. No one practically carries out this way. Of course we go, but that's right and wrong. I mean, well, we just made that up. But do you really believe that? So you just believe rape, you really just believe rape or incest or something that you just go, eh, well, you know, neither, neither here nor there, neither good nor bad. I mean, it's just, just neurons far off. They just were predisposed to do that. So why judge them? Why hold them accountable for their actions? They're just predisposed to do those things. And we know within that doesn't sit right. But why do we know that? Why does something sit within us going, That's, that can't be it? So let's go back to C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis has a, a response to this. He says, if you assume that nature is all that exists, that means you know that a meaningless play of atoms in space and time by a series of a hundred chances has produced you. A conscious being who now knows that your own consciousness is an accidental result of the whole meaningless process and therefore itself is meaningless. A thought to you, alas, it feels significant. It's like, why does it feel significant then? Maybe it, maybe it is significant. Maybe it's not just Maybe it's not just here nor there. Maybe there's truly significance to this. One last quote from him, and then we'll move on. He says, it's possible that you could try to have a good time. Let's have pleasure, but you can't truly be in love with a girl if you know and keep on remembering that you believe that all the beauties of both her person and of her character are an accidental pattern produced by the collision of atoms and that your own response to them is only a kind of psychic, uh, I can't even see these words, phosphorescence arising from the behavior of your genes. Listen, you can't go on getting any pleasure from music if you know and remember that the air of significance is a pure illusion in music, that you like it only because your nervous system is irrationally conditioned to like it. So every time pleasure threatens to push you on from a mere cold sensuality into real warmth and enthusiasm and joy, you'll be forced to deny that this universe is all there is in order to keep the pleasure. You'll be forced to deny the universe is all there is in order to keep the pleasure. You live by this, you believe this, but in practice you don't. You live this and you believe it's just an accident, but in practice you don't live as if it were an accident. And you're hypocritical then in your reasoning and your lifestyle. Maybe it's because there is something more. Maybe when the, the premise, maybe when all the evidence is off to what the premise you started off with means you need to change the premise. Change the premise. Change the framework in which you view reality. Maybe there is a God. So here's how I want to put it this way. And let me just kind of summarize it with this. Um, I love how John Lennox said it. He actually said it brilliantly, so I'd rather quote him. He says, there's two ultimate worldviews. Either matter gave rise to mind or mind gave rise to matter. To summarize, two worldviews, mind gave rise to matter or matter gave rise to mind. And where do you want to land? So if you believe this is just an accident, matter gave rise to mind, then you need to carry that out that everything in life, there's no meaning, no value, humans don't have value, do what seems best for you. Do what will benefit you. But why does that not sit well? Why does racism hurt us to our core? Why does hatred and genocide hurt us to our core? Because we know that we're more than just matter. We know that we're more than just neurons firing off in our brain. We know that we're more than that. And so it creates within us. But there has to be, why do we all sense there has to be right and wrong? And is it really truly that we just make it up as we go? And that, but, you know, you can, this is right, but this is wrong. And who makes it up? Who's the final authority? Who's to say, where, where, where do you cross the line? And the idea is, well, maybe because there is a God who designed everything and he has a way in which life should be carried out. Maybe we should submit to this God. See, if I believe there's a creator and an intelligent designer, you know what I believe? I believe that means that gives everyone intrinsic value. 
I believe that means you're made beautifully and wonderfully by God and for God and in God's image. So you know what? I, can't, I, have no, I can never hate someone for being different or look down on someone because you're, you're the beauty and made in the image of God. I need to love you the way God loves you. I need to care for you the way God cares for you. Uh, this is not just an accident where I go, I guess I should have supposedly placed value on you because I guess that's good for man, right? But what happens when it's not good for man to place value on someone else? That's why eventually you have to go, there has to either be this chaos or there's an intelligent God behind all of this. Either beauty is made up or beauty is a real thing because God is beautiful and he's made us in his image to care about beauty. We look at this and go, there has to be something more to this. There has to be something more. So why am I bringing this up? Because people just go, you know, just give me something practical, man. How can I do relationships? How can I do that? That's not bad, but start first with the premise of, well, do you believe we're an accident? Or do you believe that we're intelligently and wonderfully made? Because that will change how you do relationships. That will change how you love. That will change how you give. That will change everything about you. So before I give you something practical, let's have the right premise. That there is a God who spoke the world into existence. That there's a God, that there's an uncaused cause. His name ultimately we'd say is Yeshua, is Jesus. We'd say, if you want to say Elohim, God, that there's this plural oneness, that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that perfect love and intimacy and joy happened before creation itself, that there's already community and love within the Trinity before creation itself, and God created the world, and we get to now be a benefactor of that. We get to now experience community and love and joy, things that God experienced before creation itself. And there's this beautiful idea that, you know what, someone has, someone has intrinsic worth because there's a designer behind that person. Someone has value because God says they have value not because I just make it up as I go. And so we get into this idea of, by faith, I, I can't understand life any other way other than without there being a God. I can't understand morality, justice, um, the terrible things we see on earth like genocide. I can't understand any of that without their idea of being a God who created good and evil. God who created good and good, everything was good, and give us the opportunity and option for choosing the opposite of him, which would be evil. I can't framework life without that. If you press into it, it's not for the non-thinking person, it's for the thinking person. You can't explain some of these things, origin, meaning, morality, destiny, without the idea of there being a God behind it, and a personal God, and a personal God who came to us, a personal God who walked among us, and his name is Jesus. Not just is there a God, but there's a personal God. Not just is he personal, but he came to earth. And that, that, that is the only worldview in which I can understand and process that God is not immune to suffering, that God's suffering as well. That God didn't just create creation and go, sorry, you're suffering. God entered creation and suffered himself. What other worldview offers that? What other worldview says, actually, God left the majesty and beauty in heaven and came to earth and took on flesh, and he actually knows what it's like to suffer innocently, to be beaten brutally, to be completely righteous and sinless, and he still knows what it's like to suffer. Only in Christianity do we have that kind of God. And I cannot understand suffering and pain and goodness. I cannot understand any of that without this framework. And I think that if you're a challenger worldview and press into it, you too would have to say, maybe there is an intelligent designer behind this design. Okay, and if there is, what kind of God would he be like? Well, he's, he's one who suffers with us and alongside of us. And it, it just leads me and points us and points you and me to Jesus, hopefully. Um, one last quote. As soon as you say there is right and wrong, love is better than hate, and then realize that if this seen world is all there is, those statements which of course are absolutely right make no sense. Then you begin to realize this world cannot be all there is. Listen, faith is beginning to help you make sense of what you see. Faith is the beginning to help you make sense of what you see, because it's not just what we see. The evidence of things not seen. My last couple thoughts before we take communion because I think there's that question now, okay, Josiah, like, so what do I do f- with this? 
How do I grow in faith? How do I, how do I prepare my heart for the rest of Hebrews 11? Um, three thoughts. Here's the first one. Be saturated with the word of God. Be saturated with the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. If you want to be a person of faith, guys, let me just say this. Maybe just turn off social media for a little bit. Maybe just stop reading some articles in the news for a little bit, turning on the news for a little bit. The way you've been saturating yourself with everything happening in culture, the way you've been saturating yourself with everything during this pandemic, maybe just saturate yourself with the word of God. Turn on sermons, turn on worship, listen to podcasts, pray, read, fast, study. Like I would say the way we've been saturated and ingrained to hear certain things, believe certain things, do that same thing. You know, the secret I'd say in anyone's life that I've known that's just become like a spiritual giant over time is they just consume the word of God. So I, I, that's all I can get. There are these great men and women of faith. It's because they just love the word of God, obeyed the word of God, submitted to the word of God, c- contemplated the word of God, uh, discerned the word of God. And I would say, as you do that, like even in my own life, I remember when I was like 18, just getting a really hung- big hunger for the word of God. I would just drive and listen to sermons, cleaning bathrooms when I was a janitor, listening to sermons, listening to worship. The word of God was just pounding on my heart, doing something that I could not do if it wasn't for the word of God. Number two is this, um, be separated from sin. As you press into the word, Hebrews 12, 2 talks about sin that so easily ensnares us. Um, Sin is tricky, man. Sin can bring shame and guilt and push you away from the word of God. So I would just say this way, be separated from sin, confess sin, repent of sin, um, and press into the word. And then lastly, be dedicated to Jesus. How can you be a man or, or woman of faith? Be saturated with the word of God, be separated from sin, be dedicated to Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. That's what we're going to get to at the end of Hebrews 11 is the beginning of that verse. At the end of faith, guess who you're looking to? Jesus. At the beginning of faith, guess who you're looking to? Jesus. So I would say it this way. As you're trying to grow in faith, just be saturated and consume with the word of God. Be separated from sin. Repent of sin. Confess sin. Acknowledge that even things you might think are right, if you bring before God, let the Holy Spirit just minister to you and say, you know what? I know that the world says that's okay, but here's what God's design is for sex and sexuality. Um, Here's what God's design is for loving and forgiving and grace. And embrace that. And then I would say, lastly, just be dedicated to Jesus in that. And watch you just grow in faith. Watch you just grow and you're just kind of, you're positioning yourself in a way where you're like, my faith in God, my belief in God is not this, you know, surface level. I attend church once in a while. I might believe things here or there. I pick and choose. But you're like so ingrained in it. You're so a part of it. Your heart's so open to the Holy Spirit and his word that God is just going to grow you and us in, in faith. And again, the point of this is not just to have a series on faith. The point of this is, guys, God, make us a people that truly walk by faith that truly position ourselves where we could never do anything apart from you, that our prayers are way bigger than us, that who we want to see saved, what we want to see done, who we want to see sent could never, ever happen if it wasn't for you and put ourselves in a place where you have to answer those prayers. So again, church, let's not fear faith. Let's not look down and go, watch out, you're getting a little bit too close to, you know, those faith movements. Actually, you know what? Let's just embrace that and say, I want to be like like, like and in Hebrews 11. And that's going to require us believing that we have a big God again and not putting God in a box. Amen? I'm going to pray. We're going to give you some questions, and then um, we'll close out our time. <sighs> Father, I just ask that anything said not of you, remove that. God, let your word produce life, produce faith, that faith would grow as we hear your word. God, by faith we understand. By faith we understand. 
by who you are, by the things we don't see affect what we see. We believe that even in prayer, in worship, that we're engaging in a, in a spiritual activity that the enemy doesn't want to see us engaging in. So Lord, we're going to press into prayer. We're going to press into worship. We're going to press into just calling upon you and seeking you. And God, I just ask that you would truly make us a people of faith. That God, we'd be a people that embraces that faith has so much reason attached to it. That there's a side where there's still this reckless abandonment to maybe all, even what we do know, but it's also backed by reason and evidence. So Jesus, we have a reason to trust you. We have a reason right now to put ourselves in a position of, of deep trust. And Lord, we want to do that. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your death, your resurrection, that God, you're with us. Let that be more and more a present reality that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. God, we ask that just be a, a real reality for us. So do something within individuals within our church. Do something within our church. God, there are some things in store and ahead that are above us, beyond us, things we can't accomplish. And we really just look to you, God, and say, give us the faith in those moments. Give us those faith, those moments to part the sea. Gives us faith in the moments to see that mountain removed. Because God, we, we want to see it. We want to be obedient to you. We want to be like Joshua and Caleb and say, the land is ours. God has said it. Let's take it. We want to be those who don't question it and be cynical about everything. We ask God that you just do something really unique within us. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen.